one place to come and listen to all the crazy comic book and nerd culture related things with four guys who kind of know what they're talking about. I say kind of because it is questionable. Uh, I'm Phil and with me tonight is Matt. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Good. And Gary? Ah, buenos dias. Mi toco disco es descompuesto. Sure. Loosely to good day. My record player is broken. Hmm. Well, I thought it was the cheese well. is old and moldy. Where's the bathroom? <laughs> and that last voice was my long-term companion, Darren. How are you, Darren? I am good. I like how you said the one place to go to to talk about this because there are literally no other podcasts on uh, anywhere that talk about uh, pop culture. So you're right. No, who would do that? <laughs> We were the pioneers. We yes. were the only ones that thought of this idea. Because uh, well, that's as, where we're at. As I always introduce us at Carolyn John's free comic book day midnight release party, of all the comic book themed podcasts that emanate from Northeast Ohio, we are one of them. That is true. And we happen to be the one that you're listening to. Regardless, we have a lot that we're going to talk about tonight. But I just kind of wanted to kick this off because I didn't actually get to have a conversation with you guys about this with WandaVision. Have you guys been watching this at all? I haven't, but I don't think I have to for as many spoilers and Facebook posts and commercials and radio ads and flyers that I've been receiving. I think I pretty much know everything that's going on. So I have not been watching it, and I'm purposely staying away from any social media that discusses it because I understand some... Bonkers stuff happened in either episode four or five. I plan on binge watching it, watching it when I have a few moments to myself. I, will, I know Darren's not watching. I'll say this. I really do want to. Um, it looks very interesting. And I, I'm, as you might know, Phyllis, for doing this with me for in season nine, that I, uh, anytime you're taking something like a superhero or a mainstream, because Marvel is as mainstream as it gets now, man. Um, and you flip it on its ear and try to do something weird with it. I am usually the first person in line. Not in this case. Well, so, I, well, that's going to take, yeah. Well, and and that's going to take away from talking about it a bit because I don't want to ruin it for you, Matt, since you are doing well to hide from those things. But I will say that our old friend Tim swung by to drop off a giant sack of comic books that he had that belonged to me. And uh, we talked about it for a while, and we both seem to be in the same mind that it is very interesting, and the burn is perfect. So it, it's very different, and just be ready for it. It's so much so my uh, my girlfriend wanted to go back and watch the Marvel movies that she had missed because she hadn't watched them all. And I was having to explain some things a little above and beyond, so we kind of wrapped back in. Um, and now we're up to Ant-Man, so we've made some tracks. So that's that speaks levels to the show, too. So if you're not watching it, bear with the weirdness. There's a lot of good buried underneath. That's going to jump us into a little bit more of what Disney Plus is doing with these, these properties that they have. Kicking off this Friday, probably when you're listening to this episode, hopefully, February 12th, Marvel Behind the Mask is going to arrive on Disney whoa, Plus, whoa, whoa, which is a documentary. Timeout. First of all, way yeah. to put the screws to me to make sure to get this up in tomorrow. And second of all, how do you still not understand branding? While we were away, this is called if we ever seek sponsorship, we can sell while we were away to somebody. But not if you don't do it right, fool. Let's take uh, it from the top. Or <laughs> no. 
regardless, Marvel because behind the mask. while we were day. away, news yes, from Marvel. Yet, I'm sorry, just keep hearing this this sound that it, I swear it's a voice, but it's so garbled. Something about while we were away, I, I There don't know. it is. I knew you could pronounce it. Uh-huh. So while we were away from Marvel, since we need to be so proper at the moment, uh, as I was saying, Disney Plus, Marvel Behind the Mask is going to arrive now. I'm definitely putting the screws to Darren and making sure he uploads it tomorrow. Uh, I'll edit this segment out. Bro. On February <laughs> you know, honestly, but Marvel Behind the Mask is a documentary about the creation and the power behind creating comic books. Uh, obviously, Marvel comic books, but it, it looks incredibly interesting. And if you are into this hobby, which assumedly, if you are listening to this right now, you are, and you want to hear a little bit from the writers of a lot of these, these powerful books, you're going to hear the voices of these creators talking about what they did and why they did what they did. Um, I, I can't remember all the people that are in it. I do remember pretty vividly uh, from the little scene I saw because I wasn't 100% sure what this thing was going to be. Brian Michael Bendis talking about the creation of Miles Morales um, will be a section of it. So if you, like I said, like documentaries and you like comic books, I think this might be kind of in your wheelhouse. And it's definitely something that I am going to check out uh, once I have some downtime. Looks very cool and incredibly interesting. And maybe something that we will circle back to at some point in this podcast to discuss, because I, I think it's something that we could all appreciate. Keeping the Marvel ball running and talking about MCU type things, we got some rumors in the rumor mill, quite a few actually, that I'm just going to kind of slam together here at the top. First is Chris Evans supposedly returning as Captain America. Now, we know he's been out since the end of Endgame. Uh, that was kind of the game plan that he would not return. But with the multiverse becoming the focal point of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there are lots of options for him to return. Of course, Chris Evans is denying these rumors, saying that, no, I'm done with it. But he does it in goofy ways, which he has done in the past to maybe throw the scent off. So it's kind of impossible to know if this is actually going to happen. I know personally, I, I love Chris Evans as Cap. I think it's it's sad that he's not there. Uh, I can appreciate them trying to move past it. But it's Captain America. And... I know that the idea is Falcon is kind of filling in that role with the uh, Falcon Winter Soldier show that is coming in March. Uh, but I don't know. Anybody have any feelings about Evans' return or not? Well, there were what? Well, I, I think three he's recognizable enough. They did three movies, right? Sorry? Captain America movies? Three of them? Sort of. It was an, uh, the last one was kind of like a, an Avengers light. Yeah, it was the Civil War. Oh, yeah. okay. It had the Captain America tag. So, yes, it was three movies plus everything else he was in. I was going to say, I think he's recognizable enough that I don't even think he has to put on the Captain America garb. You know, he could just show up, you know, maybe to reclaim the shield from U.S. agent or whoever it is that, you know, takes his mantle for the time being. <laughs> you know, like, give me my damn shield or something like that, you know. Something like that. Just just a cameo of sorts. You're in my yard, I mean, boy. 
<laughs> well, I always define, you know, when you think about whether or not an actor really knocked it out of the park with regards to a character, it's always nice to, to figure out if, if there was another man or woman that could have played that part. And it's With him and Captain America, it's really hard to imagine somebody else taking over that mantle uh, and doing it. I'm sure somebody can and will, uh, but it's, it's really nice. He's just one of those characters that really kind of grew into it, I would argue. He did a nice job right off the rip with his first Captain America movie, but as that character kind of developed, and, and same thing could be said for Thor as well, is those two actors really just kind of found their found their rhythm with those characters. So I mean, I, I agree. I think the original Avengers there, your Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, like they just fit them. Like it's hard to picture them as anyone else. But I'm throwing this out there. This is obviously a joke, and I don't think they would actually do this. But with the multiverse appearing. Could he return as the Human Torch? Oh, jeez. Could we not do that, please? Because, (laughs) I mean, do we need to continually remind ourselves that there have... That Roger Corman's Fantastic Four is still somehow the best Fantastic Four movie? Hopefully that gets remedied pretty soon. That's my great hope. I don't understand that, Phil. Is there like a did somebody put a curse on it or something? Was that like that every time somebody tries to remake it, it just becomes a, a flaming turd? Is there is there something where we just I don't know <laughs> no, something just, gets always lost in translation? Wait, wait, everything I honestly looks don't so, know. Like you're everything looks so great the last time around before it actually came out. Like this is going to be great. Look how awesome this looks. And then I mean they're like, dude, this is worse than the last time. You're like it, it's one of those things that's like. It's like the Cleveland Browns before this year of Marvel movies. Like, just when you think it wasn't going to get worse, it did. It really actually, you know, <laughs> we got, I got, it's fun to, like, I still sort of reflexively go to that analogy, but I have to remind myself, oh, no, no, we've exercised too many demons for me to continue to do that. we got to find something else no. that's <laughs> analogous to my somehow this continues to be garbage and more garbage than it was previously. Actually, Phil, I think I may have a way that he could do that. And I'll touch on that a little bit later. And that's I mean, it was completely a joke, but it's possible, but let's not. Let's just, let's just not. Yeah, please no. I'm sure he's really excited about that one. Oh, well. Well, speaking of ridiculous returns, there is a rumor, and it's, again, not completely official, but Nick Cage, Nick Cage, to return as a Ghost Rider. Um, yeah. I was never a big fan of those movies. <laughs> they, they're claiming it in a specific Marvel project. He very easily could just flicker on the screen during Doctor Strange's multiverse movie or this Spider-Man movie that's coming up that is obviously leading into the multiverse. Heck, he could show up in WandaVision, as far as we know. There, there are so many options for him not to be back as a full-fledged Ghost Rider. Um, which I think might be the preferred way to go. Just kind of let Ghost Rider lie. I don't know why that was the the comic that they decided to run with. What a shame. Because but awesome. I don't know if there's a cooler image in comics than Ghost Rider with a flaming skull riding a hog like that, man. And when you heard Nick Cage is playing Ghost Rider, this is, I think, right around the time perhaps that he was about to become a punchline or a parody of himself, but he maybe he hadn't fully gone down that road yet. But I, it's, I mean, there's too many Nick Cage gags out there. It'd be like, 
It's, he's, he's, he's really the new William Shatner, if you think about it. Like, that's what's happening to him now. He's, oh. The only thing he'll ever play is Nick Cage. Yeah. And, but that kind of, that him becoming a, almost a parody of himself kind of happened, I believe, between that first and second Ghost Rider film because I feel like the folks who directed the second one kind of knew that and sort of had him winking and nodding towards the camera the entire time. So, I don't know. If, if they go with that approach and if they kind of make sure that everybody understands that they're all in on the joke, then maybe it could be kind of appealing. But I don't know. We'll see. It's too bad. I think Ghost Rider. Complete side story. You guys have seen the uh, the the Nick Cage Superman photos, right? Oh yeah. Okay. We we talked about that extensively at one point. All right. Just want to throw that out there, but yeah, don't want to dwell on that. Horrifying. Like we were curious. Like I'm kind of curious, and then those photos came out. We're like, oh, sweet mother of God, no. (laughs) Although I have to admit, I'm kind of cycled back to uh, a little bit of curiosity because I hear that. They're trying to do something with that, whether it's animated or what. It, every now and then, that thing sort of resurfaces as this massive curiosity. There's not a single thing that has come out about that that makes me believe it ever would have been good at all. But still, mm-hmm. there probably will have and will be worse. Oh, oh yeah, 100%. Speaking of maybe worse, oh, this is killing me. Spider-Man 3, Spider-Men, whatever we want to call it, Spider-Man in the multiverse. So, so much stuff is coming out about this movie. So many rumors, so many things, too many villains. I'm getting nervous. Tobey Maguire supposedly just wrapped filming Tom Holland said that Tobey Maguire isn't in the script, but they only gave him like 80 pages of the script. So he's missing parts of it like they did with Endgame. It's a big script. Yeah, I, I, I'm really nervous, really nervous. I think the idea of oversaturation is, is hitting hard here. And I've, this is the, the, balling up of too much comic bookness into a film like something that would have worked incredibly well in comics see into the spider-verse or an animated film don't think reads as well as a live action film and the curse of the third movie also of pretty much anything is it's deeply 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 worrisome for me unless Um, and unless unless the second movie isn't good then the curse of the third movie no longer exists the third movie becomes the redeemer darren totally serviceable second movie as much as a lot of second movies are serviceable and not (laughs) quite as good as the first so i know what you're getting at here (laughs) it's still i merely present the uh the the idea is all i'm doing I do have a legitimate question for this though, Phil, and I'm trying to phrase this in a way where you don't think think I'm being a jerk. I'm not trying to be, but I have noticed over a period and literally since the last movie, there is a growing and vocal quadrant of the fan base that does not like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. And it seems, yeah. And, I want to know, like, 
where do you think that comes from? Because uh, let me lead you into it. If it's because they felt like me, the second movie was not good. I don't think it had anything to do with him. I will say I am I am not in that camp. I think he's fine as Spider-Man. I don't think we've quite had our cinematic, our definitive cinematic Spider-Man yet. I think he's fine for that universe. He does a great job. He fits in perfectly with that universe. Um, I think if I if I were to choose, it'd be Tobey Maguire. I Andrew Garfield is like a non-factor to me. But I am interested to know, like from your perspective, why does there seem to be this growing um, descent for Tom Holland? I mean, it's the everybody's first situation for one. A lot of people grew up with Tobey Maguire. A lot of people grew up, which is hard to believe, but a lot of people grew up with Andrew Garfield um, as their Spider-Man, and that's what they wanted to be, and Tom Holland breaks from that. Uh, I think a lot of people are having issue more so with the script than him as a human being trying to be Iron Man. Um, that's, and again, I, I think right, that right. has a lot to do with... But I think a lot of that has to do also with people that don't read the Spider-Man comic book either because he is very technical. And there was a huge arc in which he was arguably Tony Stark. So, I mean, there, there are lots of issues there. I just think people just cannot grasp what they're trying to do with him. Uh, I think that. And then um, homecoming was the ideal, I do feel like they broke from that a little bit, but people will always judge what they saw the most recent. So I, I don't know. I don't know. People have opinions. Do you it's think, always going to be that way. Do you think it's because so much of what makes Spider-Man, Spider-Man has been absent from the two films. He's not working for the Daily Bugle. J. Jonah Jameson hasn't played any role whatsoever. Um, in the last movie, you, you took him out of New York City, which is so much a part of the fabric of what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man that it's tough. Like It would be as though, to me, it's no different from having a, uh, a Batman movie where Batman's not in Gotham City. I think it's Spider-Man, the, the city to Spider-Man and the backdrop of New York City is as important to the character of Spider-Man as Gotham City is to the character of Batman. It's hard to take him out of that. And you've had these movies now where... A lot of the reasons that people go to that people have fallen in love with Spider-Man over the years just don't seem to be in these movies. I don't know. I thought that his introduction in Civil War and then uh, the first the Homecoming, I thought actually were, were kind of the way that people perceived him was fairly positive. Um, I don't know if it's Agreed. just kind of maybe like what Phil was alluding to fatigue, and he just happens to be the poor sap wearing the costume at the time. Yeah, but, it could be. Um, you know, I think people have a tendency to kind of over romanticize the first as well, like what Phil was kind of alluding to. And Tobey Maguire was fine. He, he was he wasn't bad. I don't want to criticize him. Right? I mean, well, Spider Man Three was we yeah, third movies. We're not going to get into that too much, but you know, but Spider Man uh, those I don't know. I have a tendency to believe that kind of it's probably a combination of a couple of the points that you guys raised, which is you know I don't think it has anything to do with Tom Holland. I think that he's done a fine job. I think that there's there's aspects of the character that he seems to grasp. There's a an innocence and, and kind of a you assume that even in real life he has a a certain amount of energy that would probably strike people as annoying, which kind of fits the Peter Parker character. And so I don't know. I think he's he's got it down the tone wise. 
but I think, yeah, part of it is because the the second film wasn't nearly as entertaining as the first. And, and I don't know, probably a little bit of fatigue setting in with, with everything. Yeah, I, I mean, he plays a really good Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. A good young Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, which I feel like the Spider-Man bits have been hurt from the script a bit. So it's hard to... I don't know. It's hard to judge. I still, I think on the big screen, he's probably my favorite. Uh, I do appreciate Tobey Maguire significantly. I didn't like their choice of the no web shooters in those films, but um, Andrew Garfield, I will never be able to (laughs) stomach on that level. Are we going to be talking about Spider-Man the same way that we talk about James Bond, where we've got like seven or eight to choose from and and we all just kind of, yeah, I mean, um, we throw just, in Spider Verse, but within yeah. our, yeah. but within like a ten year period, as opposed to fifty years, <laughs> we have fifty years. What seven right. bonds? Seven <laughs> bonds in fifty years, and like in the last twenty minutes, there's been seven Spider Man. Yeah. Um, Batman's just getting getting just as bad. By the way, um, let's not forget about that. And you have simultaneous yeah. Superman. Talk about a film I'm not excited. Which one? Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, the new Batman. I'm sorry, I recently caught that trailer, and it's uh, somebody said that they're turning Batman so dark that the next film is just going to be a uh, blank screen for an hour and a half, and we'll all applaud it and call it amazing. I, I was so done with not the, my joke. It was on Twitter. It was no, a good joke. It is a good joke. I'm just so I'm I'm sort of one of the things I postulated about that was is it getting a little bit silly now? Aren't we overusing it? What are you? A vengeance. Then how come no one runs around calling him? There's this guy, Vengeance. <laughs> He kind of looks like a bat, but he calls himself Vengeance. How do they know he's Batman? I don't know. That's starting to get silly to me. I'm with you, Matt. I, this new Batman movie, I'm like, eh. By the way, Gary, just so you know, since we're know. splitting the Batman beat, whatever the new Batman is, you go and, yep. have and handle it, because I touch that with a 10-foot bat pole. <laughs> I, I'm scared that we're starting to see the downfall of some of these films. I, I just... It's got to happen eventually, right? Right. After Wonder Woman, and I'm scared about the Spider-Man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That, ooh, okay. Oh, right. I think their window is closing, and they're trying to squeeze as much out as they can. As I think that's can. possible. Maybe. I'm, I'm, hopeful, I'm, I'm hopeful that this next run of Marvel Cinematic stuff that's not the original group will still be good. Uh, I, I don't have high hopes for Black Widow. I no longer have high hopes for Spider-Man. But the stuff after that. I'm, I'm hopeful for like Eternals and things. Um, regardless, last note on Spider-Man, Charlie Cox, the guy who played Daredevil. Oh yeah. Uh, just wrapping his filming in Spider-Man. So that might bring him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we'll see. Uh, other things we mentioned briefly earlier uh, about maybe we'll finally get a decent Fantastic Four film. Uh, well, Michael Fassbender is set to play Dr. Doom. Which is interesting if you really want to think about it when we're starting to try to figure out how these movies all connect or don't connect. Uh, we're starting to get some overlap on actors. So I think Fassbender would play an interesting Doctor Doom, but... He already has a Marvel role, doesn't he? He has a Fox, Fox Marvel role. Marvel yeah. But, oh, almost said spoiler stuff. I'm going to move forward. Uh, but that for, for I need to take a breather from... From Marvel, someone else, please, please, please get get me out of this. Well, I'll go ahead and uh, hit the next point that we've got going on here, and I'm going to be talking about. And I always mispronounce this man's name, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Is it Fakey? Am I saying that right, Kevin? 
I'm, yeah, I've heard Kevin Feige, Feige, Fiji. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and say Feige. Uh, Kevin Feige uh, has been—he's been in the Star Wars works for over a year now. When they announced in 2019 that he was going to be uh, head or heading up production on a Star Wars film, and I think that, of course, created a lot of speculation as to whether or not they would somehow be combining the Marvel and the Star Wars universes. Well, anybody who had that dream had it quashed about a week ago. Uh, while uh, while we were away, I'm sorry. Um, while we were away, that dream was quashed, and uh, of course we are. <laughs> Sorry. And we realize now that there will not be a, uh, a Marvel Star Wars uh, crossover anytime soon, um, which I'm going to go ahead and say, I think after our delightful conversation about the direction of, of where we are concerned with Marvel, I'm going to take a big sigh of relief because, uh, yeah, that sounds like that would have been um, the nail in the coffin. Oh, that would have been awful. I would have almost been insufferable. Uh, we would have had to all become apologists for the things that we love very much. So I'm, I'm going to say that. We dodged that bullet. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to about that news. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah, was, wasn't Star Wars supposed to be a long, long time ago? Yeah. Like, galaxy far, far away? So how could they possibly merge that with something current? Oh, for God's <laughs> sake. Well, you're the guy who still watches wrestling expecting Ric Flair to follow the rules. You ever heard of time travels and like dimensions <laughs> and stuff? Yeah, I forgot about Matt, that. Matt, that was some damn fine reporting. Uh, just Excellent. so you know, um, the, the way you introduced that, man, I'm telling you what, that, that, this feels like a, some sort of operation, not going to go as far as say professional, but it's some sort of operation. Justice League, March 18th, 2021, <laughs> moving on, um, Batman, the long, where, where is that going to occur? Who cares? HBO Max, no one cares except everyone but me. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, everybody but you at this point, it seems. Yeah, right. Uh, I can't wait to watch it. Uh, Batman the Animated Series Revival. HBO Max is now streaming Batman the Animated Series. It wasn't long that rumors popped up of a potential revival. Now, an interesting element when performing a perfunctory internet search for this potential revival is the word revival itself, not reboots, which often gets overused and used incorrectly. Revival seems attached to most outlets I found, leading us to expect a return of the now legendary voice cast, which of course includes Kevin Conroy as Batman and Mark Hamill as the Joker. Much of this rumor gained steam when Kevin Smith claimed on his podcast, Fat Man on Batman, that a reliable source within WB has confirmed this to him. It should point, be pointed out that 2022 marks the 30-year anniversary of this series. What better way to celebrate... Now, Batman, the animated series, I think for a lot of us, is the single best translation of a comic book to the screen in any form whatsoever. I don't know. I mean, some of the episodes on that are just, they're, they're, they're absolutely legendary and classic. And it's, to me, you're not going to find anything better than Batman, the animated series. They just did it right. And I think Batman, the animated series, has informed so much of what has come since then that it sort of lays as a foundation for so much of what we've been what we've been seeing. Gary, hmm. I'm sorry. Did you say HBO Max earlier? Uh, I don't did. know something about Justice League um, and HBO well, Max. H- I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, a reliable source uh, who has been right on other tips in the past has learned that a big budget Matrix series is in the works for HBO Max. The show reportedly will be set in the same world as the movies, but will focus on different characters dealing with the Matrix. Uh, and I'm sorry, because uh, reliable source and same world, different characters, I, I didn't dig any deeper. 
once I got to that. Um, it, it's, it's a good idea, but like I said, it, I, I can't give this too much credence at this point because, again, unnamed source, and uh, it's not really about anybody you care about. How do you guys feel about that? I stopped caring about The Matrix after the second one, so... I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I want to go back and rewatch them, but I have very, very negative. Watch them in reverse order. Of how Matrix. Matt, you're supposed to be a four, isn't there? Well, I like that within out. 20 minutes of Darren proposing the theory about the third movie being bad if the second one's good and vice versa. Actually, The Matrix is the exact opposite of that situation because I would say that those got progressively worse. Yeah. Uh, so there goes uh, Darren's theory. That was short lived. It was good while it lasted, though. That first oh, movie was so good. You're not helping Phil, though. Oh. <laughs> that doesn't help him at all. I, <laughs> I saw that movie three times in the theater. I was so excited for that movie. And then the sequel is just, oh, the world they built and then shortly afterwards just crushed. It was very disappointing. Yep. Mm. I think I saw it once. And actually, I'm not even sure if I saw it all the way through. Well, if you left before First, you got out of the office, you left too early. early. So, uh, speaking of things that have nothing to do with the Matrix, um, Buck Rogers. Now, Buck Rogers is probably best recognized from the 1979 movie starring Gil Gerard in the subsequent TV series that ran until 1981. But the character himself predates any from DC or Marvel as he had first appeared in pulp magazine Amazing Stories back in the 1920s. The character was so popular... Um, that he was featured in movie serials in the early 50s and a TV series as well. But not much has surfaced about old Buck since the cancellation of the series in 1981. Dynamite last published new stories back in 2009, and Hermes Press took over briefly in 2012. Phil, I think I was reading one of those right as we started the podcast. Um, But nothing since then now comes word that Captain Anthony William Buck Rogers will be headed back to our screens in some form. Brian K. Vaughn is writing this. That is confirmed. And George Clooney has been mentioned to star. Uh, Listen, uh, I watched that show so much as a kid. I checked in on it a while back. It held up not too well, but not wasn't horrible. I'll just say this, though. Uh, Aaron Gray as Wilma Deering was one of my very first crushes. She was at that Cleveland Comic Con we went to a couple and years she back, was wasn't she? Still gorgeous. Like she walked in the room and everyone she just was. went. Everyone just went, whoa. <laughs> and okay. she didn't. It wasn't like she was. Like she was obviously probably in her late fifties, but she didn't look like she had a like she didn't have plastic face. She was just a very regal woman, and you didn't matter how old she was. She's like that woman is beautiful. <clears throat> Matt. We did hear about Buck Rogers being uh, potentially George Clooney, but that's not the only casting news we have tonight, is it? It is not, no. Uh, I'm here to tell you a little bit more about the Sandman casting that is coming, so if you're not familiar, Neil Gaiman's had a nice run of uh, television miniseries and and television shows that have been cast based on his uh, work. Of course, in the last year, we received uh, an updated version of America, or not updated, but rather... Uh, a great version of American Gods that's been airing on Stars, and I believe it's in season three at this point, or at least working on it. And that's done really, really well and, and has been critically uh, acclaimed. We also had a nice little mini series uh, during the quarantine for Good Omens, uh, a book or a series that was based on his book with Terry Pratchett. They did an excellent job. Well, recently they've decided to go ahead and put the Sandman on television as well. 
Uh, we'll see how this goes. This is a series that they tried to get up, up and running um, for a very, very long time and had a whole host of producers that could get this um, get this thing off the ground. However, they do believe it is going to be off the ground. They're going to be start filming here soon. Um, so they decided to go ahead and make the announcement for who's going to be on here. Uh, I have to admit, uh, when I saw some of the characters, I was left with the question, who? Um, but nonetheless, we do have some people who might uh, be recognizable characters, especially if you were fans of Game of Thrones. Uh, we have Gwendolyn Christie, uh, who was in Game of Thrones. She was excellent uh, in that show. We also have Charles Dance, who played the father Lannister. Um, and then we certainly have from uh, comic book fame as well. He played an excellent character in the last Wolverine film. Uh, Boyd Holbrook is going to be also picking this up. But playing the part of Dream, who's going to be your uh, main character, is going to be a gentleman by the name of Tom Sturridge. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be 11 episodes. That's going to be airing this year. Um, so we can be excited about that. Awesome. Did you hear who Gwendolyn Christie is portraying? Uh, Lucifer. Yes. That's awesome. cool. They already have a Lucifer. <laughs> now, granted, he, he's sort of uh, departed from his original character, you know, based on you know, the TV series. So it'd be kind of hard to uh, reintegrate him with the current actor. But, man, that, that's a, that is a, I don't say a stretch, but that is a definite different take. Sure. Yeah, but I trust it because, like I said, there was a while there where anything that was trying to adapt anything that Neil Gaiman had done it was kind of done poorly. Uh, I think about things like the trying to adapt Neverwhere into a short-lived uh, miniseries. It was just, oh, that was horrible. Um, so the fact that they're putting a lot of energy and effort behind this, I, I believe that uh, well, hopefully we're going to see Gaiman ride a little bit of uh, good luck here. Um, so I'll I trust it, and I'll, I'll reserve judgment until we get a chance to see it. But, yeah, I'm excited. Understandable. Something that I'm excited about is that they are talking about rebooting the Punisher into the Marvel Cinematic Universe with John Bernthal still playing Frank Castle. There's been a lot of back and forth about if he would still keep the skull on his chest, especially with a lot of the political stuff swirling around the Punisher skull. But after a lot of outcry from creators, specifically Jared Conway, the skull is staying. They're not taking away the iconic image of what the Punisher wears. So this could be really cool. I mean, I think he did a great rendition of what Frank Castle could be. And I always think it's interesting when Disney Marvel is willing to put a obviously going to be rated R thing under their, their wing. So Deadpool and then this. So it could be very interesting. That just sounds like so not Disney to me. Well, you own it. Why not make money? Well, that was one of the books that I collected. It was like the War Punisher War Zone back in the day, and that was. I mean, I loved it. The whole anti-hero thing, you know, altogether is my my shtick. But everything he does is not what Disney is. You know, that's. I mean, I'm. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna pay attention because I want to see how they how they handle this and what kind of gloves they're using. It does uh, present an interesting uh, dichotomy uh, between what Disney is and what the Punisher is. Maybe they should orchestrate a trade with the CW and pick up Superman and Lois. Um, now, when last okay. we met, things were not too good on the Superman and Lois front. They had debuted a teaser trailer, which. 
Um, for as much as a Superman fan as I am, even I went, oh my God, what in the blue hell is that? I don't know if you guys ever troubled yourself to watch it. It looked really bad. And I mean, it was like, uh, okay. But I think that it was so funny. I, I like the day after we recorded, the producers came out and go, listen, what you saw is not indicative of what the series is going to be. Obviously doing damage control real fast, right? Um, they have since released uh, multiple TV spots for the upcoming debut of Superman and Lois. Clearly they saw a need for damage control. And I got to tell you, everything I've seen since that first trailer looks terrific. In fact, it does look like they're uh, putting a little bit more uh, Do-Re-Mi into this thing than they have some of the other Arrowverse uh, shows, which is pretty high praise because those Arrowverse shows, man, I mean, there are times where those things were at... They were right along. They stood right alongside some of the best superhero stuff going at, at, at times. Um, and the show is now, you're, we're starting to see some positive reviews uh, trickle in ahead of its two-hour premiere, which is February 23rd, uh, just a, f- a short time from now. Um, and the word's very positive. People are saying it is absolutely what we need right now. Uh, but we also heard some of that stuff for Wonder Woman. So let's just, you know, let's um, pump in my brakes here a little bit. Uh, but now comes word that CW is so confident in the show that not only are they already considering season two, they want to extend season one into the summer with two additional episodes uh, for 15 total. So that's uh, a positive, <laughs> positive since last we met. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. More CW news, though. Green Arrow and the Canaries. Um, that was to be a spinoff of... Arrow, as it ended its run about a year ago this time, and uh, they definitely teased the potential extension of the Green Arrow mantle uh, through Oliver Queen's daughter, Mia Queen. Mia would have teamed up with Dinah Clark and Laurel Lance, both of whom served as Black Canary. The CW announced that the series will not move forward and no word on HBO picking it up, so it does look as though that one is gone. Gary, more from the CW. Well. I hope those two series take off because uh, Batwoman is likely to be canceled. Well, Green Arrow and the uh, Canaries already the initial has plan been I hear canceled, was... so no. Oh, well. Well, I meant as far as... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, I guess I need to pay attention next time. <laughs> that would help. <laughs> Firstly, the initial plan I hear was to have Batwoman and Supergirl crossover. But with the cancellation of Supergirl, that's not going to happen. Secondly, the ratings have been awful. Um, A sharp ratings dip for the season two premiere suggests general audiences aren't so receptive to the change in lead character as Ruby Rose's Kate Kane was replaced by Jebico Leslie's Ryan Wilder. The first episode of season two received only 660,000 viewers. Episode two was down 3% to 642,000. One thing to consider, however, is that given its Sunday night time slot, it was pitted against the NFL championship games. So it will be interesting to see how the viewership changes now that the NFL season's over. With the show directly tied to, you know, the Arrowverse, all those shows are dwindling, you know, maybe Batwoman will keep going longer than expected. Just because they need something to fill the time slot until other things have become available. Yeah, the well has to be running dry for a lot of the stuff at this point, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Well, and again, they just keep cranking them out. And like I, I said, with the uh, Yara floor... Wonder Girl. I mean, that that's a property that hasn't even had a... Com- well, now it yeah. has. I think it's out now. 
you know, hadn't even had a, uh, you know, comic out, you know, and they were already trying to put that in. That's going to be tough because so. they, they killed Wonder Girl and Titans in the most mind-numbingly stupid way possible. So <laughs> good luck with oh, that did? one. Oh, oh yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't, if you're not watching Titans, don't. <laughs> well, while we were away, uh, Gina Carano um, posted some uh, inflammatory things on social media and felt the sting of social media's wrath. Um, <laughs> she has been canned by Lucasfilm and will not be uh, returning to her character of Cara Dune, which I think that I, I'm going to speak uh, just from the perspective of that character. Uh, I'm bummed. She was a, that was a nice character to have. I thought she and the Mandalorian played well off one another. I thought that they, they seemed to have some energy. Um, so, of course, that's going to impact how Mandalorian 3 is going to turn out, uh, season 3, rather, to determine whether or not those characters are going to be moving forward. But also, uh, there is going to be the characters uh, from Rangers of the New Republic. We'll see how that impacts this moving forward. Um, as we uh, are speaking to, there is also kind of a collective swell to see what will happen with Pedro Pascal as his uh, contract with Disney is in question as well. Um, but we will see how that turns out. But we know definitively that uh, Lucasfilm and Disney have uh, severed their relationship with Gina Carano in the meantime. Speaking of Disney Plus, a long-awaited event <laughs> is about to occur. And if I could find the tab that has my stories, I'd tell it to you. There we go. Uh, as we record this on February 11th, we are only eight days away from all five seasons of The Muppet Show debuting on Disney+. Plus. This is significant as only the first Ooh. three seasons were made available in any form of home video release. Seasons four and five haven't seen the light of day, ever. I know I speak for Phil when I state that I hope the show finds new life as some of the episodes, including the incredible episode with Mark Hamill, have gone unseen for decades. Muppets Now, which my family and I enjoyed, has yet to be renewed for Season 2. I imagine that a reception that would be a positive one from the original Muppet Show would help that moving going move forward. Um, Phil, more Disney+. Plus. Yeah, that, that, Muppets, that Muppets Now was actually quite good. I just got around it was watching funny. it. I enjoyed it. Last month? I enjoyed it. It was f- the, the um, Swedish Chef Oh, those were great. were just fantastic. And I like the uh, so good. Bugs oh, well, in a Beaker Lab. Muppet Labs. Yeah, Labs. yeah, yeah. It was really... It just felt so right. Like, they figured it out. So hopefully we can keep that going. But other things going on with Disney Plus in the foreseeable future. She-Hulk, which we've talked about previously, has now released that there will be mutants in the show specifically juggernaut was the first thing mentioned granted juggernaut not actually mutant but from the x-men titles we know we know that mutants are coming but what was that darren you said juggernaut's not a mutant i thought no he's uh professor xavier's brother brother. i know that but that doesn't tell me he's not a mutant cursed by a gem or something like that yeah by the he has a gem that gives him from a god that gives him his powers. He is not immune. I wish I didn't ask. The more you know. know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but regardless, the idea that uh, mutants, which my feeling, if you are not that familiar with She-Hulk, the fact that she's a lawyer, 
with mutants becoming something that is going to be showing up in the Marvel universe, the cinematic universe and being these powered people, probably getting themselves into trouble. I could see her being their lawyer. So it could be an interesting twist to the show that we know very little about at this point. I'm excited. I'm Other. trying to relate to, uh, you know, gamma powered lawyer, kind of like unfrozen caveman lawyer from the old Saturday Night Live oh, skit. Oh man. Sure. Look, I'm just a simple frozen caveman lawyer. <laughs> your world confuses what I do know. me. Your world it confuses me. <laughs> oh my god! Outstanding, outstanding outstanding recurring character. Thank you for the the callback there, guys. That was great. <laughs> outstanding. Ah, going out for too soon. All right, all right. A little more Marvel stuff. Uh, I'm going to butcher this name, and I apologize. Stacy Osei Kafour of Watchmen fame. That is exactly right. The writers on. I'm sure. Um, one of the writers on that incredibly well-received Watchmen show on HBO, uh, which is list, have not gotten there yet. It is definitely getting watched probably in the coming months. Uh, she is set to pen MCU's Blade. With how well-received Watchmen was, it's making me feel a little bit more welcoming of Blade. Really interesting to see who they're going to cast in that role or if they're going to stick to the tried and true. Well, what do you mean? For Blade? I don't know. Cast Blade? For Blade. They already did. Yes. Did they? Oh, who, who is it? I missed it. Or if not, I just forget. It was a while ago, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was someone I wasn't familiar with. So, hey, Phil, uh, did you say you have not watched the Watchmen series yet? I have not gotten around to it yet. Oh, man, is it fantastic. It is unbelievably good. There are some new characters that they created in that that obviously had nothing to do with the original comic at all. And it, they just nailed the tone. I thought it was outstanding. I thought it was great. Regina I, King. I, again, I've heard a lot. Oh, she she's the one I'm thinking of. She, Oh, my goodness. She's, she's spectacular. She really steals that show entirely. And then the way that they incorporated the characters from the original comic into the, the show, uh, I thought they did just a beautiful job. Oh, she, she was it. in a sitcom called... Okay. Um, she was in a sitcom called... I think it was 227. And when I was a kid, I had... Speaking of crushes, I had a major crush on her as a kid. Regina King. Well, she is crush-worthy in Watchmen. She is... Yeah, she... She's hosting SNL. She's this awesome. Week. Uh, Mahershala Ali. He was from. Uh, he's guy. He, I he's just played. looked it up. Yeah, he, oh, he played. Oh, uh, Yeah, he's outstanding. Yeah, he Jeez. won for uh, Midnight, and uh, he was in. He played Remy Denton in House of Cards. I watched House of Cards. Yeah, and it was a good show for part of it. Not all of it. <laughs> yeah, and Cottonmouth in uh, Luke Cage. So, yeah, that's right. Uh, definitely a. a food- cinematic universe um so yeah that, uh, they also did a voiceover in the spider-verse oh did he Rose, Rose. Rose. right yeah he played the uncle yeah he played aaron oh uh, man that's actually now now i'm super excited for it he's great i yeah. think he'll make a great blade yeah he's good at everything he does oh goodness so maybe we do have some good marvel cinematic universe stuff coming down the line well the mcu's kind of going full circle now i right, okay. think I mean, because Blade, what was it, 96, I mean, 97, they, it was the one that sort of, 
in a way, kickstarted the superhero movie craze. It, obviously, it took a little bit of it took a while for the Marvel to to, uh, um, to catch steam, but I think in a post Batman and Robin world, which was only the year before, Blade comes along and takes it ultra seriously, and in, in a way rescues the superhero genre and keeps it keeps its heart beating long enough for Marvel Marvel to get back on their feet. And that was the first exposure of jacked Ryan Reynolds in uh, Blade Trinity. <laughs> oh, man, I forgot about that. Yeah, I used to see him as Berg from two guys, a girl in a pizza shop, and then he shows up there, he's completely ripped. It's that. It's like, that's Van Wilder? Wow, okay. It's transformation from fat Chris Pratt from Parks and <laughs> Rec gets ripped for Guardians. Oh, Oh, All right, so moving past Marvel. Darren, you got something else from us from Arcade Crusader? Well, uh, Batman The Long Halloween, the animated movie that is coming to, well, I guess we don't know what it's coming to anymore because I was about to say the DC Universe, but that thing has been defunct virtually since it launched. Um, and uh, it's going to be rated PG-13, which I think a lot of people were concerned about, um, that it was going to go either rated R or they're going to dumb it down to pg Obviously, you know, that is one of the more influential uh, comic series that I've ever read. I spent enormous amounts of time talking about it on this podcast. I, th- I you know, I, I did the retroactive review on that from our Halloween special 2017. Um, and I know, Phil, you did the following year. You did the, the three issues that lead into the long Halloween. You did a really good job um, re- retroactive review those on the, yeah. the following Halloween. Um, so... Um, that's coming. And, uh, I think our old buddy Tim had that right though, that that should have been a 13 issue mini or a 13 episode mini series. It just sets you up so perfectly for that because that book means so much to me. I am really looking at this dubiously. I am, I, I I haven't really seen anything from it yet. So I, I have my concerns. Um, moving on. Speaking of Ryan Reynolds, Gary. Hey, Phil, you, you had mentioned earlier about how Chris Evans could come back as the torch. Right. How about this? In another one of those sources who have been right before tweets, <laughs> Deadpool kills Fox's Marvel Universe was one of the ideas Ryan Reynolds pitched back in 2019. Michael Bay in talks to direct the movie. I'm out. There are a few tie-ins that give this rumor some legs. Ryan worked with Michael Bay on the film Six Underground in 2018. A pair of Deadpool screenwriters also wrote Six Underground. Uh, The story would be loosely based on the 2012 Colin Bunn story, Deadpool Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, where Deadpool of Earth uh, 12101, as opposed to the main continuity of 616, has his brain tampered with and wipes out everyone all the way up to the likes of Silver Surfer and Galactus then proceeds to universe hop and take out heroes throughout the multiverse. Uh, Given the need for the MCU to reboot Fox's properties, such as the Fantastic Four, X-Men, and others, this would be an interesting way to tie up loose ends while utilizing the multiverse concept that is going to be very prevalent in the MCU going forward. Gary, may I offer something here? I believe you were way out in front of this one. Like, by two or more decades when you used to talk about Deadpool. 
I do remember having conversations about that because, again, one of the series I collected, you know, the whole anti-hero thing. But and I think they actually touched on that in a an episode or uh, an issue of the original series. But he was taken out like like the original Bucky and like, like they were like clones or something like that. But they were all recognized. It was basically just clearing up all these like loose dangling ends of characters that, you know, were still out there, but weren't really used anymore. But yeah, that would be uh, that would be one way to do it. Yes, it would. Okay. If you guys don't like that pitch, I got a pitch for you. Okay. Think kindergarten cop, but instead of a cop, we've got Arnold Schwarzenegger as a kindergarten teacher teaching five-year-olds with superpowers. What do you think of that? You have your interest yet? No. Yes. No. Maybe. No. Okay. All right. What if this is what if I would say this is produced by a partnership between Genius Brands International and the Alibaba media and entertainment group in China. Now keep in mind the CEO of the Genius Brands is Andy Hayward, who has written or produced over 5,000 half hours of children's animation on shows such as Inspector Gadget, Strawberry Shortcake, Sonic the Hedgehog, Elvin and the Chipmunks, Care Bears, The Real Ghostbusters, Flintstones, and Smurfs. No? Okay. What if the writer and developer is Fabian Misiesa, the co-creator of Deadpool and writer for such comic titles as Batman, Superman, X-Men, Justice League, Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, and more. No? Okay. What if I were to tell you that this is the last creative project of Stan Lee? Do I at least have your interest? Yes. I mean, but I guess. Sure. You were going to keep... Stan wanted to work with Arnold. And a few months after a meeting between Stan Arnold and Hayward, Stan pitched this idea to him. Uh, Stan will appear in every episode and on every piece of merchandise they sell. Um, this will be shown on Cartoon Channel. It's already had a uh, like sneak preview. Uh, I do not have Cartoon Channel, so I did not get a chance to check it out. But the episodes are promised to be entertaining, educational, and pro-social. And the children will find new ways to make themselves better. So it does sound like a great medium for what Stan had always been trying to push. You know, um, I know he had always kind of gotten down on himself for just being a comic book writer until he kind of took it as he's an entertainer and just the amazing worlds he has created. And this, again, this is the last thing that he came up with. And there's some pretty big names attached to it. So, still doesn't have your interest, huh? I, I, I know. I think I've heard. I thought I've heard about it before. It, I just, I don't know. It's that oversaturation too. Like it's obviously meant more for kids. So I just don't. Gary, I, I don't know. I guess it's just not pulling. It. Gary, if I say no, do you have like a whole other list of things that you're going to keep telling us to try and sell it to us? What if I told you Jackie nope, Chan no, would be making it. a guest Stan, appearance? Stan what do I got to do to get you to buy this show? What can I do to get you? No, Stan Lee was the big one. Uh, <laughs> anything he does, um, I'm I'm willing to take a look at. I don't see why I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, Big Hero 6, when he had a cameo in there, that was that was awesome. That was at, at the very end. You know, it was a Stan Lee cameo. So... That, that's one way like that was one of the big you know easter eggs of every marvel movie was where's stan 
right. you know, we're not going to have that, but here we can. So, and a package for a Tony Stank. Yeah, <laughs> might be my favorite one. I think that was the best one. Nice. All right, something a little less uplifting. In a recent Marvel comic, specifically Immortal Hulk number 43, written by Alan Ewing and illustrated by Joe Bennett, there is a supposedly accidental anti-Semitic image in the background during a conversation between Joe Fixit. Um, it said, Cronenberg Jewelry. So the uh, the whole conversation is that it was supposed to say jewelry instead of jewelry, but the anti-Semitic thought that uh, old Jewish people were running a jewelry store. Uh, since then, Marvel has gone back and put an edited image into all digital releases. Comic book shops are able to ship back their first printings if they would like for free replacements. Obviously, Ooh. that is most likely going to prints into a collector's item so i was just thinking i've got your fingers on that it could be worth some money in the you know future maybe those watchdogs mm. are out there looking for it man i'll tell you i just right. I, mean, I just looked pretty, that up dominant yeah it is it's this isn't one of those things that like if you, you were you were gonna miss if you were flipping through the pages you look at this you're like whoa Boy, they just left that in there, didn't it's, they? It's, <laughs> well, didn't the artist say, like, well, I was writing it backwards and it didn't really jump out at me that it was spelled wrong? They just, they were like, it was an honest mistake. But then a lot of people were even saying, like, regardless, there's no excuse. You threw the Star of David on it. Like, there's editors. I mean, it, yeah, like, it should have been caught. How did you let this go to print? So obviously, there is a lot of backlash from that uh and you are actually correct uh it was the big argument was it was an honest and terrible mistake because i was writing it backwards yeah if we are we're starting to think that marvel is now you know they're <laughs> they're storming the castle i don't think that's true at all come on relax people make mistakes happen all right you ready drum roll please a little help on this yeah oh man do you remember when we did our holiday special we did a little segment called what's under the tree this was under my tree bethesda softworks makers of popular games elder scrolls fallout doom amongst others has announced something i have been waiting for they are developing an indiana jones game in conjunction with lucasfilm games formerly lucas arts and machine games the official announcement from starwars.com states that the game will tell a wholly original tale set at the height of the career of the famed adventurer a teased video was released with all the hallmarks what one would expect the fedora the whip a passport but there were a few other nuggets such as a plane ticket dated 1937 with the featured destination as rome potentially placing the events between raiders and last crusade temple of doom occurs before raiders uh, for those who didn't know there are books called the ancient circle myths that made and forbidden stones on his desk now being a son of a historian and a close personal friend of one who is sitting here with us virtually of course I would assume that this points to entry into the Vatican 
as well as sto- the stone walls of the Cyclopean ruins. You like that pool, Matt? Um, my father visited both a few years ago. No release date yet. One would think that 2022 is the earliest it could be expected. Now, last month we completed our What You Looking Forward To 2021. Fellas, there is my runaway number one for 2022. And this next one might be my number two. (laughs) Well, uh, unfortunately, we don't have a whole lot of information about it, but what it does imply for the going forward is what's really exciting about it. So uh, while we were away, I'm going to just nail that one every single time. Uh, While we were away, uh, Star Wars has announced that it's going to be creating an open world game with Ubisoft, specifically uh, Massive which is going to be one of their pieces under one of their departments they have underneath them that have been, uh, from what I understand, uh, the acclaimed version of Tom Clancy's division, is, if that's correct. I don't know. I didn't get an opportunity to play that because uh, awesome. my personal and professional life doesn't really allow for um, these video game things that new people are playing these days. Um, <laughs> uh, it also goes with a concerted effort to turn from Lucas uh, art games back into Lucas, or rather, into Lucasfilm Games, which has been a rebranding of, of their digital arts, their uh, video game line. I guess the biggest news that comes from this isn't so much about the fact that it's going to be an open world game or a sandbox game, similar to what's been popular over the last, I would argue, what, 10 years, I think, sandbox games have really kind of dominated the market. Um, but what this is cool about is this kind of like stops uh, electronic arts, somewhat of a Vader stranglehold on uh, the production of Star Wars-based games. So while EA has really been the only company that that Disney and Star Wars has worked with over the last, you know, probably, what, seven or eight years with Battlefront, Battlefront 2, we've had a, uh, several other games that they've released. Um, this really does open up the, the sandbox, the universe that is Star Wars. And allows folks to kind of reinterpret it and add some more characters in there. So it'll be exciting to see where this one goes. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I think the biggest storyline with this is the fact that more folks are going to be able to get their little pretty fingerprints over this and come up with some pretty interesting ideas to kind of take Star Wars forward. I can't wait. I'm excited. Yeah. Very. Well, from a uh, Vader stranglehold to a big cho- choke slam. <laughs> the WWE Network will be moving to Peacock on March 17th. Uh, the move will expose the WWE products to a lot more fans, but we'll be missing some very useful features for those who are used to the current network. At least at first, there will be no pause or rewind functions if you are watching live events. Oh. Uh, Peacock apparently doesn't have this technology. Uh, there are reportedly is shelling out in the neighborhood of 1 billion us dollars in a five-year deal, which is on top of the billion that the USA network pays for the rights to Monday night raw. The entire WWE network and catalog can be found on Peacock premium for four ninety nine a month or nine ninety a month, nine ninety nine a month without commercials or ads. So someone who already pays nine ninety nine for the WWE network can save $5 a month. Um, I'm not surprised by this. When they first came up with their network, I mean, yes, releasing their entire catalog was awesome. But the reason they were able to do that was because of their popularity. And the reason that they were so popular is because everyone was exposed to them. And then once they isolated themselves, 
I don't think they got the same fan draw, you know, new fans, things like that. You know, they were relying on people that already knew about them. So now that there's, you know, new wrestlers and, you know, new storylines and hopefully new fans, they kind of got to get back out there and get themselves exposed again. So maybe they... Any word, Gary, did you see anything about the the special events formerly called pay-per-views? Um, that was kind of lumped in with live events. Oh, so they're going to um, be on their give you access to everything just like you would have with WWE Network. Mm. It's just going to be... So essentially you get the WWE Network in that entire uh, Peacock catalog is what you're saying. Yes. Yes, wow, that, that, is, okay. that is exactly so, what this is. I mean, is. that might be a little bit uh, something to look into. I've been a, I was a day one subscriber to uh, the WWE Network, and um, I still have it. So <laughs> I, I'm... Yeah, you're right. The writing, the writing was on the wall with this. Uh, what else? What else you got, Gary? I mean, a billion dollars. Wow. All right. <laughs> All right well, speaking of uh, oodles and oodles of money, in mid-January of this year, a CGC graded copy of Batman Number One sold at auction for two million two hundred thousand twenty dollars. I'm sorry, two million two hundred twenty thousand dollars making it the most expensive Batman comic ever publicly sold. This blowing past the previous record of an unconfirmed $1.5 million copy of Detective Comics number 27. That is a lot of money for a comic book. Yeah. I know you guys got to see, you know, the Action Comics number one, which is still sitting in the number one slot at $3.2 million. But I... I, I got something I want to do with you guys, but you have you have any comments on, on this? No, no, we, we've we've talked about this a few times. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me give you a little little backstory on what I want to do here. I bought some little plastic boxes. All right. To put my transformers in that were still exposed to the dust. I dropped fifty bucks for like eight boxes. And then I looked around, and I've got boards and bags. I've got top loaders and sleeves for my cards. All this stuff, you know, just to keep the stuff safe. And I was like, why? Mm -hmm. Well, let's see. Um, a Black Lotus Magic the Gathering card. Uh, on 127 of 21, a PSA 10 Gem Mint Alpha Autograph sold for $511,100 on eBay. A Tom Brady 2000 Playoff Contenders Autograph PSA Gem Mint 10, and this is prior to this past Super Bowl, $555,988. I'm sorry, $555,988. A set of Michael Jordan rookies went for $738,000 each. Mickey Mantle rookie, uh, 1952, a PSA Mint 9 sold for $5.2 million on January 14th of this year. Uh, had been $2.8 million previously in 2018. A Charizard Pokemon card, a PSA 10 from the base set. Uh, total transaction exceeds $220,000. That was purchased by uh, retired hip-hop artist Logic. This is why we put these things in bags, because somewhere in the back of our mind, there's money attached to these. We put money into them. 
as opposed to just like, you know, taking a comic book, throwing it in a box, like the collection that I had flipped a while back, you know, they were found in an attic, you know, in a, in a garage. So what I have here, and this is just a little, little trivia for you guys. We've already touched on Action Comics number one, so I'm taking that off. That's the number one. And now Batman number one is in the second slot. I have 20 comic books that have sold for over a quarter million dollars. Would you like to take any stabs at what they are? Detective Comics number 27. Okay, Detective Comics number 27 is right right there, number three. Number three uh, on the list. Two, $2,100,000 verified. First appearance of Batman um, was $1,075,000 in 2010. Amazing Fantasy number 15. Amazing Fantasy number 15, number five on the list. Verified, $1,100,000. I'm pretending that whatever Gary's reaching for are those exact issues, and he's just like, right. I'm oh, retiring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, leave through them. They're great. Yeah. Yeah, that was a 1962 uh, comic book by Steve Ditka and Stan Lee. First appearance of Spider-Man. A CGC 9.6 copy sold for $1.1 million at auction in 2011. Fantastic Four number one. That is on the list, and that is number 18. Uh, probably one of the most important comic books on the list. Created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby in 1961. This book shows the Fantastic Four's first adventure and sold for $300,000 in 2011. That might be all I've got. X-Men number one, I'm just taking a stab. X-Men number one is on here. Number eight. Um, a CGC 9.8 sold in 2012 for $492,937.50. Yeah. Incredible Hulk number First, one. Incredible Hulk number one, yes. Thanks. $375,000. A CGC 9.2 copy. Trying to rifle through these since we went a little long. Um, How about, oh, okay. You know what? I was just going to say the first appearance of the Joker, but I believe that is Batman number one. That was Batman number one, yes. How about the first appearance of Robin? Um, Not specified. Let me see, well, let me see here. I do have... Detective Comics number 38. Uh, Detective Comets number. Huh, not, no, not thirty-eight. No. No. Okay, you don't have to list them by by number, but just events or, you know, first solo issue, first appearance, something like that. Wonder Woman. Yes. Um, Wonder Woman number one, uh, nineteen forty-two, first solo comic. Two thousand or two hundred and ninety-one thousand dollars. Justice Society of America, which would be Flash, Hawkman, Aquaman. Uh, or Justice see. League. I... I thought it was Justice Society first. All-Star Comics number eight. That's it. The debut appearance of Wonder Woman. Yep. The issue focuses on the Justice Society of America, but also That's features it. Wonder Woman origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, 2017, a copy was sold on eBay for $936,223. First appearance of Iron Man. Yes, that is. It's here. I get my notes out. It would be easier to find it. Oh, oh, that's that's Avengers. Oh crap! Where is it? Transformers. I'll get number back to one. that one. 
Oh, here it is. Tales of Suspense, number 39. I'm sorry. Uh, another creation of Lee and Kirby, uh, most famous for the introduction of Iron Man. Uh, $375,000. 9.6. You mentioned Spider-Man appearing. Is there one for just the first Spider-Man? Yeah, Spider-Man number one. That's a good one. Yeah, Amazing Spider-Man? Amazing Spider-Man number one came in at number 23. Just made the list at $262,000. It was the first issue with a Fantastic Four crossover. March of 1963. All right, let me... Uh... So you guys know um, why S- Superman will most likely always be number one, and it really doesn't have to, anything to do with him being the first technical comic book superhero? Phil, I bet you know... Well, we might, because Phil and I actually had this conversation a while back. That's kind of what started it all. Like, not many people saved them. It's a rare. Well, that's that's exactly it. There's no collector's market. He starts that issue starts the collector's market. So before that, there's you know it was just throw it away, right? And I'm then after, by the time Spider-Man rolls around, there's a massive collector's market. Even by the time uh, Detective Comics number twenty-seven rolls around, there's a collector's market. All right, let me rifle through these here. Uh, number four was Marvel Comics number one. It's for $1,260,000. It was the first ever issue of Marvel Comics. The first appearances of the Human Torch, Namor, the Submariner, and others. Tomb of Dracula uh, number one. (laughs) 9.4. Captain America Comics, number one. Jack Kirby and Joe Simon features first ever appearance of Captain America. Uh, Shows the famous for its cover image, which shows Captain America landing a right hook to Adolf Hitler. Sold for $915,000. Werewolf by Night, number one. Not on this list. Dang it. I think it was just under 250000 Oh, man. Well, well Number nine, well Superman number thing. one. First solo comic for $456,000. Transformers number one. I wish, because I have <laughs> a few of them. Um, Sensation Comics, number one. This is 10th on the list. Uh, second appearance of Wonder Woman. Her first cover appearance. Commanders in Crisis, $450, $450,000. $450,000. Flash Comics. Jeez. Um, a 9.6. Featured the first Golden Era Flash and first Hawkman. Wow. Pep Comics, number 22. The first appearance of Archie, Betty, and Jughead. Sold for $375,000. Okay, Detective Comics 31, 325,000. Action Comics number 10, also 325,000. Wiz Comics, first cat, first Shazam, 300,000. Detective Comics 29, 280,000. Journey into Mystery, the first appearance of Thor, 275,000. Avengers number 1, $274,000. And so... this is why I put my stuff in bags. Is that that was a really long That's way it. to make that point, but I, your point I'm taken. Sorry. Point taken. Well, point I taken will is show you I, what I've been doing some of these days, and you will be proud of me, Gary. Okay. Point is, I would like to touch upon the collectible end of comics, you know, as my contribution to this show. Um, I have a couple things down the road I'd like to run by you guys, but yep. anyway, that's something we need to get into for sure. All right. Sorry, it took so long. No, no, no. That Let's was good. On. Yeah. All right. One last quick thing before we we uh, wrap for this part of the month. We all know that mid-February is Valentine's Day, and it is the what people would consider the month of love for some reason, because Hallmark told us to. Um, but 
with that in mind, uh, I decided for us all to kind of think about our all-time favorite comic book love storyline. So each one of us has one, one strong one. And I will start. My pick is Spider-Man Blue, which I know Darren has read. Uh, Jeff Logue, Tim Sale. It is Peter Parker looking back on his love over Gwen Stacy, who is now dead. And it's him talking into and listening to uh, a tape recorder. And the whole thing is a buildup talking about the sadness and all the things that were tied to Gwen and how much he misses her and wishes that she could be part of his life. And it all wraps with his current wife, Mary Jane, walking in on him, talking to this tape recorder, talking to his long lost love. And instead of her being angry with him, she shows the sympathy for her husband who loved before and it was someone that she used to love as well. And it's just this beautiful love story, which of course, Darren gave me the copies of right when I was going through a divorce. So it was super, super sad for me. <laughs> but uh, regardless, it's a absolutely fantastic love story. And it shows that love can trans pose the whole concept of death. And that even if you love someone else, that does not mean you have to let go of the love that you once had. So my uh, pick for this and what kind of sparked this thought uh, of, of love storylines was that comic. So that is my pick. Darren, what do you got? Uh... I do have some honorable mentions, no justifications. Batman and Talia al Ghul, Robin and Batgirl, the love triangle between Cyclops, Wolverine, and Jean Grey. Uh, but my favorite storyline in this one is one that, for whatever reason, has stuck with me over the years because it was such an interesting take on uh, a love interest for Batman. And Batman's always going to have tragic love interests, right? Whether they're just not going to work out, he's going to lose them somehow. And this is from about 2000. And uh, it's Greg Ruka and Sean Martinborough's run on Detective Comics uh, during the time. And, of course, Sean Martinborough was a multi-time nominee from my end for his work on Thief of Thieves uh, in his illustrations. Uh, to, the, to this day, I just I love his artwork so much. And this is one of the first comics, at least back then, that I saw used a limited color palette. It was just such a, a striking book. And then the storyline backed it up. And it was the it's commonly referred to as Batman and the, the Batman and Sasha storyline. Um, and I honestly, I had to look up Sasha's name for this is Sasha Bordeaux because it was so expertly told by Greg Ruka. He, he did have a lengthy and fantastic run on Batman presiding over No Man's Land and Bruce Wayne murderer back then. Um, so this, I guess, is what the kids would call shipping because... This is it's debatable whether or not they ever actually got together. There was a lot of people that really were rooting um, for Batman and Sasha to get together, even more so than like we always know that I guess if Batman does have a traditional love interest, it's got to be Catwoman. Uh, but people were just like, no, 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 he should be with Sasha. So here's how it played out an attempt on Bruce Wayne's life panics the Wayne Foundation board recognizing how badly things could spiral without their public face. They forced the board president to hire a top-level personal security guard for Bruce Wayne. This presents a problem as the board's president is Lucius Fox, a longtime DC character and among the few who traditionally knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. For the uninitiated, Fox is the character that Morgan Freeman plays in the Nolan trilogy. 
Fox needs to hire someone more than capable, but someone also who's probably not going to ask too many questions. Uh, so we hire Sasha Bordeaux, given that she is a peerless, peerless in her tactics and abilities, but also around a decade younger than Wayne, Fox figures that her youth would work into their advantage. Over the course of many issues, it was extraordinarily compelling to see as a backstory Sasha slowly putting the pieces together. The late night disappearances... Uh, Wayne not flinching when there's loud bangs. She notices that she he has the physique of a fighter, not a playboy millionaire with a vein streak. Uh, noticing that you know the some parts of his skin tone are a little bit off because he's trying to hide his abrasions and his injuries from her. She notices that there are times where his gait is a little bit different. Um, so eventually she puts all the pieces together and there's an issue where she confronts him and, you know, along the way they, they grow very, very fond of each other. And Batman, you know, he, you can tell he starts to have a feelings for her. Sasha and her late nights re reflects that she is absolutely in love with him. And um, it, it really it was such a great story. I haven't read it in so long. But I remember some of the particulars. I don't remember how it ends, and I'm kind of excited about that. So if I ever want to reread it, it's going to be re like reading it with fresh eyes. Who was the uh, woman that was in Mask of the Phantasm? Uh, Andrea Beaumont. Okay, never mind. Okay, it, it, sounded, old, it was right. Old Flame. Old girlfriend, gotcha. uh, Bruce okay. Wayne's. All right. All right. Oh, I have two runners up as well. Um Scott Pilgrim and Ramona Flowers from, uh, well, Scott Pilgrim. But the whole thing about, uh, you know, he wants to be with her and she gives him, it's like, I'll give you an opportunity. Here's my evil exes that you have to defeat. You know, cool story. Uh, number two, Rogue and Gambit with the look but can't touch relationship. Uh, my number one has to be Al and Wanda Simmons, uh, Spawn. Uh, Al was killed, sent to hell, was trained to lead Hell's army, came back to Earth only to find out that it's now years later, and Wanda has married Al's best friend and has a child, Cyan. So he still loves her. He doesn't realize he's been gone that long, and he spends the rest of his existence basically protecting that family from the things that go bump in the night. So it's, I guess, more of a love story that I'm kind of used to. You know, here's someone that you want to be with, that you love dearly, but you either can't or can't be with them or they don't want to be with you anymore. So that was my number one, Spawn. Al and Wanda Simmons. Well, I've just got one. And now after uh, reviewing how you get, or listening to you guys review yours, I feel like mine was a little bit disingenuous. But the one very first thing that popped in my head was not so much romance, but bromance. Oh yeah! So the thing that popped into my head was absolutely going to be Deadpool and Spider-Man crossing over and having the, <laughs> the isn't it romantic? So I've taken something that was absolutely done in earnest, and then I have decided to just step all over it. So I hope you guys enjoyed that part of it. No, that was of course awesome. that was with uh, Joe Kelly as the author and McGinnis as the illustrator. Of course, we're talking about the one that came out. Uh, oh goodness gracious! What was I own that whole run. Four or five years ago. Uh, yeah, so at any rate, 
we had uh, initially what seemed to be a war between Spider-Man and Deadpool, and then, of course, they find out that they're on the same side, and there was a misunderstanding uh, and all those things. And then you have uh, Deadpool, who is married at that time, still pining after his friendship and wanting to be super best friends with Peter Parker and yearning for his attention and affection uh, all throughout the entire run. So there we are. I, the running joke, too, of him not knowing he's Peter Parker and trying to figure it out throughout it and being bummed that he doesn't know throughout is just fantastic. I love that series. Yep. It ran way longer than anticipated. I thought it was going to be like a five-issue like mini, and it was like 35 issues or something insane. <laughs> it was so good. Um, I cut my runner up, which was uh, Big Bad Wolf and uh, Snow White from Fables. But... That's beside the point. Those are awesome, guys. I, I'm glad that you kind of ran with it a little bit. So we'll be back a little bit later this month with, uh, man, a segment we haven't done for a long time, Stick Stuck Pick Sayonara, where we talk about what we're reading. Uh, we have a little segment tucked away that uh, Gary brought up that we'll introduce then, and a retro review also by our dear friend Gary. So uh, remember, you can always follow us on Instagram at Panel Scanners. But until later this month, enjoy your comics.